This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to our program, which strives on a weekly basis to be America's best weekly radio show. And there are some who believe that it is. My mom thought it might be. Ms. McMillan's mom was sure of it. And I can tell you that any failure to achieve that goal is not through any lack of effort on our part. I must confess, however, that most, both Mr. McMillan and I are under, um, under siege currently. Suffice it to say, there are a lot of things going on. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but how it is we're going to produce a show over the next five or six weeks, <laughs> open question. But we're sure we're going to pull it off. Let's start this show, as we always like to do, with On This Date in History. The date in question is the 28th of August. I wonder how many of you know this one. It was on August 28th in 1835 that a couple of English pharmacists named William Perrins and John Lee began the first commercial production of X. What do you think X might be? Here's a hint. They came from Worcester in England. And yes, they produced... Worcestershire sauce, which is still going strong. I believe one of the secret ingredients is fish sauce. And if you'll allow a digression, I was watching a TV show last week uh, showing some wrecked Roman vessels off an island that uh, I guess Augustus's daughter had been banished to. And in the holds of one of the ships where I'm for is filled with fish sauce, which was apparently an enormous business back then. And no, I don't know whether they recovered an amphora with any material in there that would allow them to reverse engineer what was in that fish sauce, but um, I'm sure that future research will shed more light on the history of fish sauce, which, which I'm certain is something that holds your interest. By the way, my understanding is that uh, ketchup or catsup, if you prefer, um, originally came from fish sauce. It was a Chinese fish sauce and somehow got transmogrified into tomato sauce. We'll have to uh, do some more research on that and report on those findings for you. Anyway, continuing along, on August 28th in 1972 at the Summer Olympics in Munich, local boy made good. American swimmer Mark Spitz, who trained at the Arden Hills Swim Club in Carmichael, captured the first of his seven gold medals. If you were keeping score, he competed, if you're keeping score, he completed the 200-meter butterfly in two minutes, seven-tenths of a second, a new world record. As we reported in this program about a decade ago, he made some noise about a comeback, although he was well into his 40s. Wait a minute, he was well into his 50s. <laughs> I don't know. The comeback didn't go well. And then another local connection to uh, the news from history. On August 28th in 1986, U.S. Naval Warrant Officer Jerry Wentworth got sentenced to 365 years in prison for his role in a Soviet spy ring. Wentworth, in fact, got arrested right here in Davis. And he was clearly misled by the leader of the spy ring, John Walker, but that's a story for another day. We would refer you to our archives where we talked to the FBI agent who arrested Jerry Whitworth. You can find that in our archives at radioparallax.com. That was show number 228. We spoke with FBI Special Agent John Peterson about his role in cracking the Walker family spy ring. And finally... It was on August 28th, 51 years ago today, at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., 
when America's foremost civil rights leader, Martin Luther King, delivered his legendary I Have a Dream speech. A great speech from a great man who was taken from us far too soon. A quote of the day, in fact, comes from Martin Luther King, who once said, A genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. Our quote of the day comes from Edmund Burke, who once said, One man with conviction makes a majority. But our bonus quote of the day comes from the legendary spy Kim Philby, who once said, To betray, you must first belong. Boy, speaking of Soviet spies, you need to do a segment on Kim Philby and, uh, and, uh, and the Soviet spy ring sometimes, Ms. Merrill. Make a note of that. It's a damn fascinating story. Our joke today comes from the writers for Jimmy Fallon, who noted this week that Disney stock just reached a new high this week of $90.37 per share. Said Fallon, that's when you know tickets to Disney World are too expensive, when it's actually cheaper to own part of the company. Our stat of the day is that 48 million Chinese, most of them wealthier, well-educated, have migrated abroad in recent years to escape China's corruption, political oppression, and air pollution. A recent survey found that 64% of well-to-do Chinese citizens are either in the process of emigrating or are planning to emigrate. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. And what I think I'll use for our anecdote for today's program, even though it's not exactly an anecdote, is this item which is that Canadian courts have just ruled against three immigrants to Canada who were challenging the loyalty oath Canadian citizens are supposed to undergo because it required them to uh, state their allegiance to Queen Elizabeth II of the UK. Apparently an Irishman resented the monarchy on historical grounds, a Jamaican Rastafarian opposed it on religious grounds, and an Israeli felt that swearing allegiance to a person was just plain undemocratic. The Toronto Star, in an editorial, said the courts were right to decline all three reasons for opposing the oath because the words symbolize allegiance to the Canadian state, not the person of Queen Elizabeth II. It was noted that most newcomers to Canada have no historical ties to Britain and are puzzled by the requirement that they swear fealty to a monarch of another nation. Which, if you ask us, seems like a pretty legitimate beef. The Toronto Star did recommend that Parliament uh, take some action to rectify this. They noted that Australia dropped mentioning a queen from its oath 20 years ago with, without much controversy. At any rate, our, uh, our good news section for today's program is that last week in Tel Aviv, thousands of Israelis took to the streets to call for a peace agreement with the Palestinians. Author David Grossman warned demonstrators in Tel Aviv's central Rabin Square of fanaticism of hate also between Israelis, saying Israel must fight despair and fear with dangerous tendencies. As we speak, apparently the truce is back on in Gaza, but the Israeli military did level one of the largest buildings in the territory on the grounds apparently that somebody inside had had contact with Hamas at some point. We take the position that what Israel has done in Gaza is not okay and that we have to have a two-state solution which I add that that opinion, like all those heard in this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And we'll continue to talk about it. I think it's time to jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hmm. 
According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for honesty in relationships. Sort of. Well, the story is that a 23-year-old American got engaged to a British woman he'd met at the University of Connecticut. But he then panicked and sent word he'd committed suicide to escape marriage vows. For his part, Tucker Blanford did admit later, I'm a terrible, awful person. And, uh, frankly, it sounds like he is. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for ordering a stiff drink after a Chinese liquor maker tried to boost sales by adding Viagra to his rice wine without mentioning it on the bottle's label. Yes, evidently this enterprising entrepreneur got arrested after customers began noticing some unusual side effects of his spirit. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for the German holier-than-thou attitude about U.S. spying upon it when it was revealed that Germany, in turn, has been consistently spying on Turkey, its NATO ally, and that it accidentally intercepted phone calls by then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in 2002 and her successor, John Kerry, last year. For its part, Germany was the most vocal opponent of the NSA's massive eavesdropping campaign, which saw the U.S. agency tap the personal phone and email of Chancellor Angela Merkel. Apparently, German sources told Der Spiegel the intercepted Clinton and Kerry phone calls were made on satellite phones and inadvertently picked up by German eavesdropping equipment. On the other hand, Turkey was and is an official target of German spying, which caused the Turkish government to say that is absolutely unacceptable. All right, let's do a bit of follow-up here. We talked about how uh, here in our capital, in the state of California, there's a lot of lobbying that goes on, a lot of bills that attempt to get to the legislature don't seem to make it thanks to the <laughs> the ability of lobbyists to kill them which is not to say that everything passing through our legislature is you know going to help us but you know i'm sure that you know some of them would in the same way that you know a stopped clock is right twice a day but this week a proposed statewide ban on single-use plastic bags got stalled in the california assembly the Sacramento Bee has noted that the plastic bag industry has mounted a fierce opposition campaign. They've hired lobbyists and bankrolled a barrage of advertisements while lambasting what they see as a heavy-handed regulation that would suppress jobs and do little to reduce waste. We'll continue to follow this. We'll also continue to follow the fracking issue, which uh, is controversial all over this country. I was kind of struck by a letter that someone named Ken Jones wrote to the Bee in the wake of our earthquake which struck napa they're talking about a billion dollars worth of damage from this fairly decent shake 6.0 6.2 something like that the biggest quake in california since loma prieta of course the part i like best this is on a fault that hardly anybody even knew about not one of the biggies at any rate ken jones wrote a letter to the b saying uh Given this reminder that California has earthquakes, shouldn't we be more concerned about putting a halt to fracking in California since it has been linked to increased earthquakes? Much of the new fracking will occur along with San Andreas Fault. Even though some are hesitant to believe the science that shows the increased earthquakes, the fact that highly toxic fracking wastewater is stored in injection wells with well casings made of cement is worrying. Perhaps all this shaking will crack the well casings and cause the wastewater to migrate into our rapidly depleting water aquifers. Maybe it has already. Some good points. 
And we reported in this program in the past how Dianne Feinstein has been willing to uh, run interference for the CIA. But the San Francisco Chronicle noted earlier this month that uh, she's now taking on the CIA and President Obama. Article by Carolyn Lockhead. Subheadline was, Lawmakers' investigation into torture has become one of the most important struggles in Senate history. Yes, the former mayor of San Francisco is chairing the Senate's Intelligence Committee, where since 2009 she's led an investigation into charges the U.S. tortured terrorism suspects. <laughs> Allegations? I think that's pretty well established, isn't it? Anyway, tortured terrorism suspects during the George W. Bush administration in violation of U.S. laws and international treaties, including the Geneva Convention, and then lied about it to Congress. Again, is this controversial? I mean, is this, is this in doubt? Anyway, Feinstein's been pretty willing to let the CIA and the NSA have their way, but I guess they pushed their luck with her and now are facing her wrath. Apparently, the Intelligence Committee last spring reviewed a lot of uh, Defense Department and CIA documents, six, to, six million pages worth, to produce a report running 6,000 pages itself. Feinstein has described the findings in the report as chilling and said U.S. torture was far more systematic and widespread than we thought. Oh, and by the way, that report has not yet been made public. President Obama has repeatedly said he wants to make the report public, but he has turned over to the CIA, the agency under investigation, the keys to make that happen. Of course, he did admit a few months ago, we tortured some folks. The article notes that last March, after years of staying mum about the investigation, Feinstein went public with accusations that CIA officials had tried to intimidate her committee staff by threatening to have them charged criminally for allegedly hacking into the agency's computers. Feinstein provided a 45-minute account of the se on the Senate floor of CIA efforts to sabotage her committee's work. These included extensive unsorted document dumps, the hiring of outside contractors to conduct multiple reviews of each document, insistence that the oversight be conducted at CIA headquarters, and removal of an internal review conducted under former CIA Director Leon Panetta. Of course, sounding a contrary note is John Yu, the UC Berkeley law professor, who during his time in the Bush administration was the author of the memos that provided legal justification for the interrogation techniques. You also added that the report's findings that torture was used and didn't work is wrong. Well, tell that to John McCain. McCain, former GOP presidential nominee who could no longer raise his hands above his head because of the torture he endured during five years as a POW in North Vietnam, likened this CIA's efforts to a plot out of a B-grade spy movie. Said John McCain, as a constitutional matter, the CIA's interference is worse than criminal. And the White House's dismissals of Feinstein's efforts to keep the executive summary intact are alarming. Which we say good for John McCain and good for Dianne Feinstein. I hope they will continue to speak out. And I hope the government will release that document so we can see what's in it. Don't you, dear listener? Now tell me if this has ever happened to you. You've gone out for dinner somewhere and are out in a veranda and you're thinking to yourself, gee, I wish some nutty dog owner would bring his pet along. Well, your prayers have been answered by our legislature. In fact, last Thursday, our governor, Jerry Brown, signed a bill that will overturn a little-known and little-enforced ban on pets at bars and restaurants and give businesses the opportunity of legally allowing dogs in outdoor spaces. An article about this legislation that was in the Chronicle shows a, a black Labrador shoving its snout into the arm of a little boy standing next to the rail in the outdoor veranda. 
I don't know. If you're like me, don't you, I just you, don't you enjoy it when a dog just runs up to you and shoves its snout under your skin? Or better yet, down in the old crotch area? Nice. It's a little unclear to us here at Radio Parallax uh, how long the dog owner is going to be required to clean up after his pet if he takes a dump while you're trying to enjoy a meal. And I don't know, I just got to point out to all you people that love your dog that not everybody loves your dog, especially when your dog barks and growls and just plain stinks, as they often do. I just had to quote from this piece by critics Alexander in the Chronicle. It did note that, quote, aggressive dogs have prompted complaints in the past, as have incidents in which diners found hair in their super salad. It goes on. But supporters of the new law introduced by the Assemblywoman Mariko Yamada, Democrat of Davis, say that legislation ensures that health and safety concerns will be addressed. It might be noted that this legislation got only one no vote between the Senate and Assembly and was a virtual shoo-in for the governor, who was often cited with the first dog, Sutter Brown. Yes, we remember that photo we talked about here of Jerry Brown and his wife walking their dog on a leash one morning out on the bike path. They were walking, going the wrong way on the bike path with a dog who was, who was out on the leash extending across the full breadth of the path, doing about everything you can possibly do wrong in, in, one, full, in one fell swoop. Anyway, we shouldn't waste a lot of ammo on Jerry Brown for the fact that he's a moron when it comes to walking his dog. That is far and away the least of his offenses, but more on that later. We can't talk about those twin tunnels on every show. And speaking of misbehaving governors, let's hear from our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about Texas Governor Rick Perry's mugshot. Or, to be more precise, his smug shot. In the booking photo, the guy is grinning like a Cheshire cat who just cleaned out the canary department of PetSmart. Perry was indicted on two federal counts of abuse of power, which, for a politician, is real similar to being accused of breathing through their mouth. No big deal. He's smirking because he knows there's a better chance of being struck by lightning, holding Charlize Theron's purse full of winning Powerball tickets, than being convicted, and is wearing the charges as a loud red badge of partisan courage, counting on the controversy to jumpstart his rekindled presidential aspirations. Proving, once again, there is no bad publicity. These days, it's all about getting on TV. Further evidenced by the NFL trying to charge musical acts to perform at the Super Bowl halftime show. That's right. The three finalists, Katy Perry, Coldplay, and Rihanna, have each been asked to pony up for the privilege of performing and to kick back a slice of their concert tour following the show. A better solution would be to pay we spectators to watch the overproduced lip-synced extravaganza. The Weather Channel has a new reality show called Three Fat Guys in the Woods, which is exactly what it purports to be. Anybody can be a star. Andy Warhol's future has arrived. Everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. You don't have to be talented or accomplished. Just get your name and face out there. Kim Kardashian's new iPhone app is expected to make over $100 million this year. The goal of the game is to do anything and everything to become famous. 
It's all about exposure. Of course, in the Midwest, we were taught you can die from exposure. And it couldn't happen to a nicer couple than Rick Perry and Kim Kardashian. And three fat guys in the woods. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Thank you, Mr. Durst. Yes, and, and like you, dear listener, we, we just learned about the three fat guys in the woods in the Weather Channel. It's true. And yes, we were quite flabbergasted by the notion that the NFL would actually ask its performers to pay them for the privilege of performing. Man, that's chutzpah. Rolling Stone noted that uh, this year's Super Bowl drew 115 million viewers, helped along by the halftime show, of course. And the suggestion that the stars pay the NFL was reportedly met with a chilly reception from the candidates' representatives. I do want to add as we take a break that although it's an understatement to say that I'm not a fan of halftime shows at the Super Bowl, I was in fact stunned to see Bruno Mars channeling the ghost of James Brown at the last Super Bowl. He was pretty good. All right, we got to take a break. Don't go away. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. I'm sure Mr. Millen's going to have a little Bruno Mars in the background. <laughs> 